Of course, you know what gluten is and what it does to your body. Everyone knows what gluten is. But what if you don't? What if after all these years of people around you talking about gluten, like they know exactly what it is. Some saying it's bad for you. Others saying don't believe the hype. If you don't have celiac disease, gluten doesn't affect you. What if after all this time with everyone around you seeming like they know exactly what gluten is, what if you're actually kind of vague on the details behind gluten and you're unclear on how it affects your body? What if you're confused about what foods contain gluten and what foods don't? And what if you're a little leery of asking these questions because it seems like everyone around you already knows about gluten and you don't want to be the odd woman out? If the whole concept of gluten-free makes you want to pull your hair out, or if you know you should stay away from gluten because you've heard it might make your IBD worse, but you don't know exactly why, or if you just love to nerd out like me on all things gluten-related, you're going to love this episode. You are listening to The Cheeky Podcast for Moms with IBD, a safe space where moms with Crohn's and colitis connect, explore powerful tools for healing, and transform our lives to thrive in motherhood and in life. I'm your host, Karen Haley, IBD health coach, integrative wellness enthusiast, and mom to three outstanding kids. After having Crohn's disease for 30 years and working as a health advocate exclusively with IBD clients for the last 10 years, I know it's time to bring the types of candid conversations I have with my clients out into the open. It's our time to go on an IBD healing journey and do it like only a mom can. Let's do this. Hey there, dear one. Today's episode of the Cheeky Podcast is all about gluten. What is it? Is there really a difference between gluten sensitivity and celiac disease? Why does it matter so much for those of us with IBD? What foods contain gluten? What foods don't contain gluten? And if gluten is so bad for you, what kinds of other problems might it cause for your body? Does it affect other parts of your body besides your gut? And is there a foolproof way to know if something has glutened so that you don't get glutened yet again? We're going to answer all of these questions and so much more today. So I have to tell you a story first. A while back, probably I would say about 13 years ago now, I had never heard of gluten. When this little book came into my life, Breaking the Vicious Cycle, it told me that I should stay away from eating gluten to help my Crohn's disease. And I had no idea what it was talking about. I had never heard this word gluten before. But somewhere down the line, while I learned all about the specific carbohydrate diet and how it can help those of us with IBD, I learned. I learned what gluten is, I learned about its impact on IBDers especially, and as time passed and more people started to talk about gluten, I forgot that not everyone knows what gluten is. A few years ago, I was talking to a client during one of her first sessions, and I was outlining a a possible eating plan for her where it was a gluten-free eating plan. And I was telling her all about 
all of the grains that contain gluten and talking about how with her new diet, she wouldn't be eating these grains. And I could tell by the look on her face that she was completely confused. And her response, it told me everything. She said, sure, Karen. Yeah, absolutely. I can stay away from gluten, but what's a grain anyway? And right then and there, it changed everything for me. It changed my whole path forward with every client that I've worked with since. It was the most wonderful reminder that not everyone knows what gluten is. It was a reminder of my time when I didn't know what gluten was. Many people, they don't even truly understand what grains are. So how could I ask my client to be gluten-free when she didn't really even understand what grains were? So before we even get into the how gluten affects your body, before we get into the difference between celiac and non-celiac gluten sensitivity and the symptoms that gluten intolerance can create, we have to start at the beginning. And this is especially important for you, Mama, if you've ever wondered this very thing. Over the years, I've learned that when many of my clients come to see me, in the beginning, they're, compu- they're confused about this too, but they just don't want to ask because it seems like everyone around them knows what gluten is now. So once and for all, let's start at the very beginning and clear up any confusion that's been standing in your way of your true understanding of what gluten is. And then with that information, you can move forward and then you can make an informed decision about gluten. Is it something you want to eat or is it something you want to avoid? So let's do a little imagery exercise here. Picture yourself on a warm sunny day in a tall field where beautiful golden brown stalks are swaying in the breeze around you. At the top of those stalks is a feather-like structure. You're walking through the crops and you're just letting your hands drag against the feathery tops. Although this top of the crop contains hard pods that are filled with seeds, together, the whole crop there, the top of the crop, as you glide your fingers over them, they're very soft to the touch. If you picked the top of the crop out of the ground and you tickled your chin with it, it would almost feel like a light, warm feather. In these light and feathery tops of the golden brown crops are grains of pods. These pods, when you grind them and you process them in a manufacturing plant, these grains in the pods, they get made into foods like flour. Yeah, Flour, the flour that I'm talking about, the flour that you buy at the grocery store, whether it's brown flour or white flour, it doesn't matter. Both contain grains. Flours like these can be made from wheat. That's the flour that you're probably most familiar with. And grains that got processed into flour, they're used to make foods like bread, pasta, cookies, cake, pizza, Is your mouth watering? It's all those doughy foods that we are used to eating in America and also in other parts of the world as well. Now, in these grains that make the flour we buy at the grocery store are protein structures. One of the protein structures that's in many of those golden brown grains like wheat and barley and rye is a protein called gluten. So I hope that that imagery exercise, I hope that it helped you see exactly what grains are and what gluten is. 
Many people think that gluten must be this super nasty, hairy, wart-nosed witch who hides in your favorite foods and comes out to attack you, but actually gluten is just a protein found in grains. And like I just mentioned, the most popular grains where you'll find gluten are wheat, barley, and rye. But gluten is also found in other grains that you might see. Grains like kamut, spelt, and some oats. So gluten, it's not just found in wheat. It's found in many other grains as well. And gluten, it has this really interesting property. You can think of gluten like your kid's Elmer's glue. It's sticky, it's elastic, right? Glue. And it's what makes all of those baked goods I mentioned before, the bread, the cookies, the pasta, it's what makes them chewy, springy, sticky. Gluten is literally the glue that binds our baked goods together. Sounds wonderful so far, right? Why would gluten ever get a bad rap? It's the star of so many delicious foods. What's wrong with it? Well, the problem is that even though on the outside gluten might seem harmless, it might seem like a useful protein on the inside, and especially for those of us with Crohn's and colitis, so people that have already sensitive guts, gluten can start to behave like that nasty, hairy, wart-nosed witch that I was talking about, and it can start to wreak havoc, not just on our digestive system, but on our whole body as well. So what exactly is so bad about gluten? Why does it become a gut disruptor for us? Well, to answer this question, we have to go a little bit back in time because if you had gluten 50 years ago, you might not have had a problem eating it. But today's gluten is really different from the gluten of yesterday. Advances in farming to yield more crops in less time And in modernization of the crops that we grow, like growing things like dwarf wheat, we've increased the amount of gluten in the grains that are grown. And these grains are more difficult for our sensitive bellies to digest. For Crohn's and colitis bellies, gluten can cause inflammation. It can cause an immune system response and leaky gut that forms when unbroken down gluten particles break through our intestinal wall and they begin to travel like foreign invaders into our bloodstream. This difficulty processing gluten, it can be so damaging to our intestinal wall that it actually flattens the intestinal villi and those are the finger-like structures that should stick up tall and proud, protecting your intestinal membrane and helping us with nutrient absorption. And when you are sensitive to gluten, these villi, the finger-like structures I mentioned, they can become flat and inflamed. This is an experience called total villus atrophy. And when you have an immune reaction that occurs with that, that's so severe that the body attacks the small intestine, this is what's known as celiac disease. And you can absolutely, just so you know, and this might be you, you can have IBD and celiac disease. So you might be listening to the same me, me, that's me. Absolutely, you can have both. The struggle in sussing it out, though, is that symptoms of celiac can be very similar to our Crohn's and colitis because it can include things like severe bloating and gas and diarrhea and abdominal pain. Sounds familiar, right? 
But what I tend to see more often with, at least with my clients who have IBD, is a similar reaction to gluten. So they're reacting very similarly with their symptoms, but without the diagnosis of celiac. People who experience similar challenges to gluten without the celiac diagnosis have a true gluten sensitivity known as non-celiac gluten sensitivity or sometimes called gluten intolerance. You might have noticed this in yourself. You know that maybe you seem to react to foods that contain gluten but you don't have celiac. Or maybe you've been having the symptoms that I mentioned, the bloating, the gas, the diarrhea, the gut pain, but because you have Crohn's and colit- or colitis, you're thinking, oh, that's just my Crohn's or colitis. This whole gluten sensitivity, it gets really confusing for those of us with IBD because the symptoms for celiac and IBD are so similar. The bottom line though here is that I don't want any, I don't want you to let anyone, whether it's a doctor, a friend, an internet meme making fun of people who say that they're gluten sensitive because we know that is very common. I don't want anyone to tell you that gluten sensitivity isn't real. Because for those of us with a sensitivity to gluten, it's as real as it gets. You know, 18 million Americans have a gluten sensitivity compared to 2 million who have been diagnosed with celiac disease. So there's a lot of us out there. I'm definitely a member of the non-celiac gluten sensitivity club myself. And when it's left untreated, celiac and gluten sensitivity, it can cause a host of additional problems for us. From inflammation that doesn't just stay in the digestive tract, it leaves to parts outside the digestive tract and travels to other parts of the body like the skin. So you might be seeing a gluten sensitivity or celiac that's untreated showing up as rashes, bumps, eczema on your skin. I know that my son, he was diagnosed with something called dermatitis hepatiformis. It's a skin condition caused by gluten intolerance. And he went to a general dermatologist and he was told that he had psoriasis. And so the dermatologist gave us this foam, this foam medication I had to get at the pharmacy and it never worked. And after seeking a second opinion, we learned that he actually had dermatitis hepatiformis and we were told that he should remove gluten. And of course, what happened, within 30 days, within one month, his skin was completely clear. The patches were gone. Unchecked celiac and gluten sensitivity, it can also wreak havoc on your neurological system with ties to challenges like brain fog, migraines, ADHD, additional autoimmune disorders, thyroid disease, heart disease, depression, anxiety, other mood disorders even. So the gluten challenges that we might have, they have the power to take over our whole life. Studies have even linked gluten sensitivity and intolerance to type 1 diabetes, multiple sclerosis, anemia, osteoporosis, infertility, and epilepsy. Wow, that is a huge list of challenges that a gluten sensitivity can create. That's a lot of chaos for one little protein. The good news, I love to give good news, the good news is that whether it's celiac or NCSG, that non-celiac gluten sensitivity, the way that we resolve the problem remains the same. We remove gluten. 
sounds easy, right? But I know from experience, because I've done this myself, I know that it's not as simple as it sounds. It takes first really understanding what gluten is and next knowing where you would find gluten. And if you already tried to live a gluten-free life, you know that it's almost like you have to have a PhD in something called glutenology or gluten detectivery to know all the hidden places that gluten is found. And no, glutenology and gluten detectivery, those are not <laughs> real degrees. I'm kidding. But it really feels like you need a PhD in some sort of science to really get this. And then once you get it, you really need to make a plan. There needs to be a plan in place to make sure that you don't cheat when food isn't readily available, right? You have to have that food available so you don't cheat or so that you don't get glutened unintentionally, which of course has happened to all of us who have gone gluten-free. Just one ingestion of gluten can stay with you and damage your insides for up to six months after eating it. Staying consistently gluten-free, it isn't a joke and it can be really tricky to navigate. So what do you do if you really want to live a gluten-free life? And whether you have celiac or not, I highly recommend that you do because it's worth it to try just to see if it makes a difference for your IBD symptoms. I've seen it have truly amazing results for many of the clients that I work with. Just make sure that you give it a fair shot. So we're talking anywhere from 30 days to three months, not three days, not seeing anything and then saying, oh, that didn't work for me or eating gluten-free at home. But then when you're out not eating gluten-free, no, consistently eating gluten-free for 30 days to three months. No gluten, no cheats, no getting glutened because remember, it stays with you for a long time, even in small amounts. What's three months, right? You can do it. Three months. You can do this. And if you want to do it, let's go ahead and get you started off to the gluten-free races. So we're all familiar with grains now, and we know that they can get turned into flour, and we know that they make many of the foods that we eat today. That flour helps makes that, makes that food, whether it's white flour or gluten-free flour. And now, so you might be thinking, okay, so I'm just going to choose gluten-free forms of flour and then I'll be good to go. Well, I wish it were that simple, but staying away from gluten, it isn't just about staying away from gluten-containing flour. It gets a little bit more complicated because food manufacturers love to hide gluten in packaged, boxed, canned foods to just to make our lives more complicated. You really do almost need that PhD I was telling you about, the PhD in gluten detectivery to live a gluten-free life. But I'm going to give it to you today in spirit anyway. Are you ready for a crash course? I might not be able to bestow the power and give you a PhD, but I do have a gluten-free detective badge coming your way with my three simple steps to gluten-free super sleuth status. That's a tongue twister. Try to say that three times fast. Step one. Let's talk first about step one. Remember, there's three steps. Step one. Step one is all about finding the obvious and the not so obvious gluten. I mentioned that food manufacturers like to hide gluten in their products. These are foods like salad dressing, soy sauce, marinades, seasoning packets is a big one, pre-seasoned meats, cans of soup. You can find 
hidden gluten in all of those types of foods. Even non-food items might contain gluten like toothpaste. I know, toothpaste, right? But makeup, shampoo, conditioner, even some medicines and supplements can contain gluten. It's crazy. It's a minefield. When you really start to look out for gluten, you'll be surprised at how many places you find it. And I wish I could tell you that those things I just shared with you, that was your exhaustive list as to places where you might find gluten, but I'm really just getting started here. If you really want to be serious about avoiding gluten in places where it's obvious and places where you need that gluten-free detective badge that I talked about, I've got a cheat sheet with your name on it. It's my obvious and not so obvious gluten-free cheat sheet. You can take this cheat sheet with you. You can put it in your purse. You can pin it to your refrigerator. Make multiple copies and put it wherever you need it to help you at the grocery store, at a restaurant, while traveling, eating at friends' houses. You know, America is opening up. Hallelujah. We are opening up and people are getting out there more. Now that more people are vaccinated, more people are getting out, more businesses are opening. So this gluten-free resource, it can definitely come in handy even when you're away from the house. So if you want my complete gluten-free cheat sheet, you can find a link for it right in the show notes. I will put a link there. Or you can go directly to karenhaley.com forward slash gluten-free to check it out. That's K-A-R-Y-N-H-A-L-E-Y.com forward slash gluten-free. Okay, so step one of your super sleuth gluten-free detective skills is knowing to look for the obvious and more importantly, the not so obvious hidden gluten. Get that gluten-free cheat sheet and you'll be all set. You'll know what to look for. Now, step two, let's talk about step two. Step two is developing your super sleuth gluten-free detective label reading skills. This is a must, my friend, and it ain't as easy as it sounds, let me tell you. Food manufacturers, they aren't required to say this contains gluten on the package, not on the front of the package, not in the nutrition facts panel, not in the ingredients, not even in the allergens list. But the FDA does require that if food does contain any of the top allergens, it does need to be listed on the allergens list. And that allergens list is located on most products just under the ingredients list. The good news is that wheat is a common allergen. If you can see that as good news, but it's helpful for us. So ding, ding, ding. Remember, wheat is a big player in the world of gluten. So when you're playing super super sleuth, gluten-free detective, the first place you want to look is the allergens list. And if you see the word wheat, you know it contains gluten. You're going to just put it back on the shelf, step away from the product. Nobody will get hurt. Just off limits. Now, that's the first part of step two. Now, if the product doesn't contain wheat in the allergens, that is awesome. You're ahead of the game, but it doesn't mean that you're out of the woods just yet. Since gluten goes by so many names, it's now time to search the ingredients for those names. Do you see the words wheat, obviously, barley, rye? Do you see words like brewer's yeast, bulgur, bran, malt, matzo, triticale, 
because they all contain gluten. It doesn't say gluten, doesn't even say wheat in most of them, but they contain gluten. Remember, there's lots of hidden gluten out there. And this is where that gluten-free cheat sheet will come in handy. So grab it and then you can take it with you when you go to the grocery store. Now, I promise you, you're not going to need that list forever. I don't need a list anymore because I've been doing it so long. But it will give you a leg up on gluten until you get comfortable identifying hidden gluten in the food you buy. And before we move on from step two, I want to give you just a couple bonus tips. Some packaged foods will say gluten-free on the label, but half of these foods, they already are gluten-free. And the manufacturer is just using that word, using the words gluten-free to hike up the price of the food. So don't be fooled by these false claims. Always be a skeptic when you see gluten-free on the front of the package. Does it need to be gluten-free? Because actually some foods are just naturally gluten-free. Another bonus tip regarding step two in your label reading, in order for a food to be considered gluten-free, It must contain less than 20 parts per million of gluten in that food. Now, while that might seem very, very low to you, that amount of gluten, to many super sensitive folks with IBD and also to some with celiac itself, that might not be low enough. I've had clients who haven't been able to tolerate even that amount. And if this is the case for you, you can choose foods that are labeled certified gluten-free. I bet you've seen that label before. It ensures that it was tested and third-party certified that levels of gluten in that product are even lower than the industry standard. Usually we're talking somewhere in the neighborhood of 5 to 10 million parts per million. 5 to 10 parts per million. So you can look for that if you're super sensitive. Lastly, I want to say one more thing. Just because you have a food label and you bought the product and you read it, it didn't contain gluten a month ago, that doesn't mean that you can't always trust what's on the ingredient list a month later. From time to time, food manufacturers, they change their ingredients. So be on the lookout while you're reading these food labels. Be on the lookout for changes like that. It's happened to me several times over the years of being gluten-free where a product I loved has changed ingredients and now it's no longer safe for me. One last step in my three simple steps to gluten-free super sleuth status is step number three. You're almost there. You almost have your gluten-free detective badge. Let's continue with the last step, mama. Step three says that instead of having to navigate the world of gluten-free, instead of having to be a super sleuth and find every gluten-free version of every food that's out there, do yourself a favor. Make it easier for yourself and just buy foods that are naturally gluten-free. It's tons healthier and it's better for your digestive system anyway. Foods that are naturally gluten-free are whole foods, whole fruit, whole vegetables, unmarinated meats and fish, eggs. Most dairy products are gluten-free, but I want you to be careful with some of them. So some ice creams will contain like cookies and cream or chocolate chunks that will have gluten in them. So be careful with ice cream. Also be careful with cheese that's pre-packaged and pre-shredded because sometimes it contains flour to keep it from sticking. Be careful with some cheese spreads because if they add additional ingredients, they sometimes put flour in there. But 
besides those most dairy products are gluten-free. You can stick to naturally gluten-free grains, ancient grains like quinoa, millet, and amaranth. Rice is gluten-free, but you might be surprised to know that I am not going to tell you that you should buy brown rice. Now, I know that you're a busy mom and you're probably multitasking while you're listening to this, but give me your complete attention for just a second because this point is really key. I know not everybody is going to agree with this, but I'm telling you, mama, this is the way to go. I like white rice better than brown rice, rice, and let me tell you why. Many people choose brown rice because they think it's healthier, but actually, if you're going to eat rice, I like white basmati rice as a better option. Brown rice contains more phytic acid, and phytic acid, if you're not familiar with that, it's that natural coating on rice that makes it harder to absorb the minerals that are in the rice. And so your white rice has less of that because the outer coating has been removed. And brown rice also has higher levels of arsenic. Both of these compounds, they can be challenging for our already compromised gut. White rice, and especially basmati rice, it's easier to digest. It's gentler on our digestive system. All right, makes sense? Okay, so choose basmati white rice. What else is naturally gluten-free? Plain fats and oils are. We're talking about butter, coconut oil, ghee, EVOO, that extra virgin olive oil, oils and fats like that, they are naturally gluten-free. Some condiments are gluten-free. Not all condiments contain gluten. So ketchup, yellow mustard, mayo, those are usually naturally gluten-free. Do me a favor though, do yourself a favor. You'll want to always double check the label though. Just like I taught you in step two, how to check the label, because some condiment companies do tend to add gluten. Barbecue sauce is a big one where you see gluten and also some pasta sauces. So those are just a couple places where your condiments might um, have gluten in them. My favorite, absolute favorite gluten-free condiment is coconut aminos. It's made from a coconut, as the name suggests. It's so close to tasting like soy sauce, which does contain gluten, and it's so delish for your salad dressings, for a steamed veggie topper, for Asian dishes. You can find it right in the condiment section of your grocery store. Coconut aminos are awesome. Okay, one last thing. One last thing I want to warn you about as we finish up step three. With all of these naturally gluten-free foods and with the packaged gluten-free foods, remember that just because a food is gluten-free doesn't make it healthy. I hear this. It's so crazy to me. But I hear it all the time from clients, friends, family members. Oh my goodness. Even though my mom has passed, I can't even say the word gluten-free without thinking of her because I can still hear her in my head saying, but Karen, it's gluten-free. I don't know where gluten-free became synonymous with healthy. Yes, for many of us with celiac and with gluten sensitivity, eating gluten-free is healthier for us. But cookies and pasta and breads and cakes, they're not healthy because they're gluten-free. They're just gluten-free. Crappy food is crappy food no matter what. With me, mama? Okay, good. All right. 
We've covered a lot of ground today. We started at the very beginning with what's a grain and what is gluten exactly. We discovered why gluten and IBD are a bad combination. We explored the difference between celiac and gluten sensitivity. And then finally, I shared my simple three-step plan to gluten-free super sleuth status. You've got that coveted gluten-free badge of honor now, mama. Wear it proudly. One last thing. We have to talk about this before we part for the day. Let's talk about how when it comes to gluten, you're going to do it like a mom. Okay, you can think of this as your last bonus tip of the day. You gotta do it like a mom. If you choose to eat gluten-free, feed your family gluten-free too. Make your life easier, not harder. The saddest thing, truly, the saddest thing for me to listen to is to have a client tell me when they're talking about the kinds of foods they made for dinner last night, they'll say, I made X for dinner for me, Y for dinner for the kids, and Z for my husband, for my hubby. No freaking way, mom friend. I want you to get real. You don't have time for that. You know you don't have time for that. Let's make this super easy and let me go ahead and just break this down for you. All right, meal by meal. For breakfast, we're talking gluten-free things like eggs. Most bacon, but check, most bacon is gluten-free. Um, sausage, particularly if it's Applegate Farms sausage, that is gluten-free. Some others are not, but I do know that Apple, Applegate Farms is. Fresh fruit would be naturally gluten-free. Smoothies, all of these things never had gluten in them. They are naturally gluten-free. Now for a treat, the kids might like a gluten-free muffin or a pancake, but really there's a lot of naturally gluten-free things you can serve your kids for breakfast. Lunch. Lunch is always great if you include a protein like chicken, turkey, fish, egg salad, tuna salad. If you can get your kids to eat it and do it early because it's really important, lettuce, greens, those are great. Salads are wonderful for lunch. Whole fruit, whole veggies dipped in hummus or guacamole, maybe avocados, sliced avocados on the side. If you want to keep it traditional, like a lot of people do, and you want to make a sandwich sometimes, there is gluten-free bread available. But I have to tell you, better still would be grain-free bread. Most of my clients, they actually like the taste of it better anyway. It's super easy to make your own with either almond or coconut flour, or you can even, nowadays, you can buy it. You can buy it right at the grocery store. My favorite company for uh, grain-free bread is Against the Grain. It makes this really wonderful tasting bread. Ro they make rolls, bagels, pizza too. So lots of grain and gluten-free options there if you want to go over the sandwich route for lunch. Dinner, keep it all about being healthy and simple. Healthy protein, healthy fats. So chicken, turkey, lean beef, pork, salmon, tilapia. Serve a double dose of vegetables and then a small starch as a side. Remember, there are some starches that are gluten-free. Sweet potatoes, that basmati rice that we talked about earlier, quinoa, those are all healthy gluten-free sides. You can serve a small side to make everybody happy. When it comes to your kids, 
The best way to do it like a mom is to focus on naturally gluten-free foods. They always just seem to taste better. And remember, those are healthier options for your kiddos as well. All right, you have got this, mom friend. I'm so glad we had this conversation. I hope that it really helps just demystify some of the craziness that is surrounding gluten-free, like that you have to know what it is or that it is a wonderful thing and there's nothing wrong with it. Do yourself a favor. Try it, right? 30 days to three months. I will am with you every step of the way. Remember, if you've got cues about this episode, I am always happy to help. If you're on Facebook, I am too. You can DM me at the IBD Health Coach. The IBD Health Coach. Just make sure you put the the in front when you're searching for my page because my other account got hacked. It was IBD Health Coach. That got hacked. So there is a new one out there now. So go ahead, hit me up, DM me on Facebook, leave me a question and Let's start a conversation about it. I want you to be really comfortable with this so that you can jump in, dive in, and really give it a fair shake for you. I can't wait to hear from you. Until we meet again, I'm wishing you a cheeky and healthy IBD healing journey. Chat soon. Thank you so much for joining me today and for listening to today's episode. When it comes to IBD, I know there's a lot of resources out there and I'm truly honored that you chose the Cheeky Podcast to get your IBD information today. If you found this information helpful, please give us a rating and review. It helps other moms find the podcast and see what we're doing over here to help IBD moms everywhere. And if you feel called to do it, share this podcast with an IBD mom who you know could really use an uplifting message today because that's what we're all about over here at the Cheeky Podcast. One last thing, if you're still with me, and if you are, you're definitely my kind of gal. We have to get to know each other better. If you're tired of living on the hamster wheel of IBD with all the ups and downs between flares and remission, if you're struggling to get control of your abdominal pain, gas, bloating, diarrhea, and other troubling IBD symptoms, Go to my website, it's karenhaley.com, and my mom had to be just a little bit different, spell my name with a Y, so it's K-A-R-Y-N-H-A-L-E-Y.com, and schedule your very own free 30-minute IBD root cause troubleshooting session with me, where we discuss the challenges you've been having, we set goals to help you move forward, and we talk about how we can work together to help you get your life back. It's a power-packed 30 minutes. You don't have to live in IBD status quo. There's so much that can be done to transform your life so you can thrive in motherhood and thrive with IBD. I've seen my clients walk this path and it gives me so much joy to take that journey with them. My entire coaching practice is run online so you never have to leave your house and you never have to get out of your jamming or yoga pants for us to work together. You know I'm wearing them too. If you're ready to take your first amazing step towards healing, I'm ready to chat with you. Schedule your free 30-minute IBD root cause troubleshooting sesh today at karenhaley.com. Click on the work with me tab and I'll see you soon.
it's important to note that the information in this podcast and in this episode is for general information purposes only and not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice. The statements made in the Cheeky Podcast for Moms with IBD, either by me or my guests, is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Before implementing any new treatment protocols, do yourself a favor and consult your physician first. Thank you so much for listening, for being here, for saving this space for us to spend some time together. Until we chat again, I'm wishing you a cheeky and healthy IBD journey.